0: Welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel Multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jake Hill. And today we are here for Galaxy War 3 Battle Royale. Excelsior. We've done it, people. We've made it past everything named Annihilation.
1: Yeah, this Annihilation series no longer has any books called Annihilation in it, but there are a lot of more space wars. If there's one thing we learned about the stars is that the wars never stop.
0: <laughs> they don't stop coming, and they don't stop coming, and they don't stop coming, and they don't stop coming. Not until you get canceled by Marvel Editorial. Oof. Oof. Bring, kind of abruptly. down.
1: Well, we're not there yet. Um, so today <laughs> we're talking about the first half of the big crossover event uh, called War of Kings, which was coming out around the 2008. I and... knew nothing about this beforehand. Uh, 2009, 2008 into 2009, you knew nothing about this beforehand. So you, uh, yeah, this was a little bit before you got back into, or you got into
0: reading monthly Marvel, right? Yeah, this was a, a decent while before, but also I, I didn't even hear about it when I was looking through. I'm like, what are the things I probably should be reading to catch up with Marvel and like events and whatnot? Granted, I didn't do any of the space stuff, so that might be why. <laughs> this is right around when
1: I started reading Marvel month to month. So this, I was, I, this was one of the first stories I remember collecting, like,
0: live. That must have been confusing as all hell.
1: <laughs> you ain't kidding. But you know what? The confusion was kind of—that was when I was so determined to get into it, right, that I was uh, picking up all the crossover stuff and trying to figure out what order it went in. And I kind of liked the puzzle <laughs> of it at the time. Yeah. Uh, l- less so now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess I'm also not, I'm familiar enough with the story now that I can kind of place all the different issues because this is a this is like um, it has the level of continuity of Hickman Krakoa X-Men stuff.
0: Yeah, we're we're bouncing from title to title and things are happening in one and they affect another, but you don't really see how it does you know right away and all that. But none of the organization of Hickman uh, X-Men stuff. God
1: no. I also in reading this, I bet. I think about this sometime when you're reading a really good Marvel run and you can tell the Marvel books that they read and really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Like, you see that in Al Ewing's work a lot where he refers back to some of his favorite stories. Yeah. And uh, with, with Hickman's X-Men stuff, it calls back to a bunch of this War of Kings continuity.
0: Yeah, which shocks me, and I feel like I need to reread a lot of the early X-Men and, and House of X, Powers of ten to kind of get it. Because while we were reading it, other people were bringing it up, and you were bringing it up and being like, oh, look at Falcon, he's back. This refers to Inferno and War of Kings. Like, those two seem to be touchstones that we kept referring to. Uh, and, well, now we're getting Inferno again, so that'll be <laughs> yeah, fun. Yeah, we're just using... Maybe we'll do an
1: X-Men story called War of Kings at the end, and it'll be uh, Magneto versus Namor. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Didn't people not like Inferno? The original '80s Inferno. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, opinions vary on '80s Inferno. I feel like a common consensus nowadays is that
0: it's good. Okay. What was the What was the Claremont uh, Simonson X Men stuff that people didn't like? I'm sure there's a lot of people who also don't like Inferno. It's well, um.
1: It's long and it's weird. It's got a lot of like freaky demon art. It's where the like uh, bondage gear Claremont imagery goes to like its maximum, <laughs> right? And I, I I feel like that might turn some people off. And it's also a lot of um. That's where Madeline Pryor is like the scorned woman on her quest for revenge, and that's oh. a uh, that's a story that some people uh, are fed up with or rubs them the wrong way. Yeah. I myself think uh, Inferno—a lot of fun parts—you know, there's a lot of issues of it. Not all of it is, a, is is equal, but there's a lot of really fun parts of Inferno. The Excalibur stuff is my favorite. As soon as you get something that big, it's bound to have good and bad. And speaking of, <laughs> let's, <laughs> uh, let's get into War of Kings. But I guess um, before War of Kings, I guess what I want to ask you is, um, of what we've read in this huge run that we're reading together— what do you feel, like, fed into this? Like, because uh, uh, we didn't look at— Star-Lord hardly appeared at all Yeah. in, in today's readings. Um, Richard Rider is doing such stuff, but it's, like, not really connected to the War of
0: Kings. It's kind directly. of the, the tail end of the secret invasion stuff, basically.
1: Yeah. So, like, whose journey do you feel like we've been following for a long time who we're still following
0: through the War of Kings? <sighs> you know, I, I don't know. And that's why I've always been like, "What is this event?" I
1: guess if anyone, it's uh, it's Ronan the Accuser, right? Is it? Well, I feel I guess I mean, he he wasn't at the heart of a lot of the action today, but I feel like. Um... We were with Ronan when we started with Ronan in the status quo. He was like an outlaw bounty hunter, right? And it's been this journey where he slowly got brought back into the fold of his of the Kree. He became their ruler. He immediately abdicated responsibility to Black Bolt, and now it's about like what he does next.
0: Yeah, I guess that I guess that's true. We just we focus on so many not ancillary characters, but we got Darkhawk. Very dark hawk centric. A lot of what we were reading this time, we got the end of the Nova stuff, and we got I don't know whatever's going on with Vulcan,
1: the uh, Shiar stuff. <laughs> we, I guess.
0: Yeah, we we kind of have we have a lot of the fallout of the political instability of the the galaxy, or I guess the galaxies. Yeah, whatever.
1: there's a, at least a couple galaxies involved.
0: Yeah, which is which is very interesting because. Uh, Whereas the other ones, they felt grand and big while we were focusing on the people, like these very small characters, you know, who interact with the big players and end up becoming kind of big players. This is here are a lot of big players doing big things, taking advantage of and and dealing with kind of all sorts of chaos, and every so often we're checking in with kind of the smaller, the smaller um, movers and shakers who are going to end up influencing the important bits, like Gladiator and uh, Darkhawk and Ronin, and yeah. You know. All that's a, people.
1: that's a really good point. I I feel like with the previous big stories, uh it's been about like heroes with their back to the wall and rarely are we in the perspective of the decision makers and the people in power. It's like a it's you know, it's it's a story of like rebels and guerrillas and renegades and this is yeah. like a story of like throne rooms and uh, and command bridges making like big decisions. Mhm. Exactly. To get into it, we're gonna start with Darkhawk. So um, I was led to believe Darkhawk is a character you rather like. Uh, he is. That this was not. That's right, ra- but that's rather unusual. What, what, where's your love for Darkhawk come from? He's not exactly a popular player.
0: No, he's not. But my, my love of Darkhawk kind of comes from the type of the type of hero that he embodies. Like that, those kinds of stories I really like. The. What know, kind of the system? weird what, what... space, the weird space things with gems, and you don't really know what's going on, and it's just a a flavor of every man that I like in the Dark Horse Mythos. You like like Rom Space Knight type stuff. Yeah, and, like um, we've kind of touched on that before. Silver Surfer. mm Hmm. Yeah, and kind of it reminds me of even though he's a '90s character. It reminds me of the, the Bill Mantelow-style 80s space sci-fi stuff. Yeah. Even at his worst. There are bits of that where I'm like, sweet. What I didn't know was that this this was where kind of the, not modern, but what we've been seeing, like during Infinity Wars and um, I guess what's going to be coming up soon-ish uh, in his new miniseries, all the stuff with the raptors and, and all that, which we'll we'll get into.
1: Yeah, because uh, War of Kings Darkhawk was written by C.B. Cebulski, Dan Abnett, and Andy Lanning. Illustrated by Harvey Tullabao, Bond uh, Dazzo, and uh, Paolo Pantalina, Inked by Harvey Tullabao, Joe Pimentel, and Paolo Pantalina, Colored by J. David Ramos, and uh, Rain Barreto, and John Rauch. Lettered by visual calligraphy's Corey Petit and Russ Wooten. Um, one one particular name in that big block of names I just read off kind of stuck out to me, Elias. Uh, that do you feel same name stick out to you as well?
0: Yeah, uh, it was our good friend, the current editor in chief of Marvel Comics, uh, Akira Yoshida-san. I mean. C.B. Cebulski, uh, and he wrote by himself the first issue of Dark Hawk and then with Abner and Lanning on the second, and, uh, it shows. I don't know why they needed to be brought in on the second and weren't all writing together. I don't know, I don't know what happened, but... I don't know what
1: happened either, because at the time, uh, was, I mean, I guess he was, was, uh, by 2008, he was already working as an editor, so, uh, his, his time primarily working as a writer had passed, um... You and I were just talking before the show about how I actually think that Sibulski uh, edited a bunch of good Marvel books and edited them pretty well, but I, mm-hmm. I can't point to a Marvel book that he wrote that I would say
0: is good. Uh, this is, I think, the first one that I've read that was actually written by him. So this yeah. is better, and this is much,
1: This is better than his usual work. Ooh, ooh. There's parts of this I really like, um, but there's parts of it I, I don't like either. Uh, this was also yeah. more or less my introduction to Darkhawk. I'd probably seen him in issues and he'd shown up once, but I'd never really gotten a story where he'd been the star before.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate because Darkhawk is such a cool concept, but here he's just kind of used as a bit, bit of a standard standard. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it.
1: Well, okay, so we get into it and. Um... We learn about uh, Darkhawk is Chris Powell. He has a magic gem that lets him grow this like freaky magical space armor. He's also got anger management issues, and the gem seems to bring that the worst in him. Yep. And, and I'm like, uh, that kind of, as a premise for a character, works for the Hulk, right? Well, Hulk has uh, anger issues as superpowers. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I understand the structure of this story.
0: Yeah, and it, we, we open with him kind of interacting with his family. His whole family knows who he is, which... I think is a very refreshing and nice take on this, and they're trying to support him as best they can. And uh, but like
1: it, it's clearly been fraught because every so often their house gets vaporized, and then he like hulks out with them.
0: Yeah, and that's that's no good.
1: And he's working. We we we've seen Darkhawk and Nova before because he's working as the chief of security at Project Pegasus. Yep. And it's about the time when he gets to work at Project Pegasus that I was like, this is over inked. These pages are way too busy for me.
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's a lot, especially all the faces. Like, you, you look and you're just like, should that person have 20 muscles on their finger? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing some finger muscles. Uh, I'm looking at a page where Darkhawk is fighting uh the villain Vector. And just like, I can't even... Vector is covered in like crisscrossing stripes and starbursts there's like a saturn uh, the planet saturn on one of his butt cheeks and he's like golden orange and then he's shooting these like really digitized lightning bolts everywhere that are covering up the rest of the art it's like impossible to follow these pages
0: yeah and the separation between characters and background is virtually non-existent so they all kind of blend together on one plane which is never fun is that what the
1: separator does
0: no uh like a color <laughs> I, separator. Nobody I don't can think explain so. what, the, what
1: a separator does to me.
0: I I can tell you what a color flattener does. I don't know what a color separator does. My get my guess is it's a similar role. And if there are any colorists listening, please correct us. Yeah, on would, this because I, I want to know.
1: I would love to know.
0: Yeah, this is really a big problem with digital art. Well, especially early digital art. Yeah, you can actually create physical planes and layers like in a Photoshop document, but. No, uh, with digital art, things get flattened a lot more, I noticed. Um, Probably also because of the way we color things, and the coloring just melds them together. If it's done well, usually with, like, Dave Stewart or Jordi Belair, um, you know, everything is clear. But with this one, unfortunately, it's just the era. Like, a lot of art just looked like this.
1: Yeah, uh, this reminds me of, uh, like, Ultimate Spider-Man had uh, colors a lot like this. Or the art style like this, but different kind of colors, rather.
0: yeah. And I, I see that the the artist was trying to go for something cool with the on the in the that page that you were describing is in the middle in between two other pages where uh, the vector, one of the UFOs is on the left. And then two pages later, you have Darkhawk's face and they're kind of staring at each other. But they're on they're separated by a single splash page. Well, with a couple couple panels on that one, instead of having them be, you know, next to each other. So they're facing each other. It's things oh, yeah. like that. It's very sloppy. <laughs>
1: And in my trade, that's uh, separated by a uh, page turn.
0: Yeah, I don't know why. I don't get that. Like, it, you're, you know, it's a fight, and so you've got the two faces facing each other. That's that's pretty standard stuff. Maybe it was
1: published differently in the issues, or maybe it was just sloppy scripting.
0: No, it has to be sloppy scripting, because I'm reading the issues.
1: Uh, but I'm saying, like, maybe when they originally printed it, they were using some sort of, like, limited edition gatefold oh.
0: technology.
1: You know what I mean? Like, they were always doing shit like that in 2009.
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Where the story starts to pick up there's like a the, the 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 vector fight is you know, is so we can have a fight. But then I yeah. get kind of excited because after the words, Darkhawk heads over to a meeting with the loners. Uh Elias I was uh this is around when I was starting comics and the loners were kind of a thing I was excited about. Do you care at all about the loners?
0: Um I like the concept here, especially as like a like a a support group for ex superheroes who are like uh, being a superhero ruined my life.
1: Yeah, I love from, that idea. They first show up in Runaways by Brian K. Vaughn.
0: Oh, they did. Yeah, Why which was I edited, by, this? edited by
1: edited by Sabulski.
0: Huh. Shows what I remember.
1: I, I remember them also showing up in some Bendis Daredevil and Jessica Jones stuff. Oh, maybe
0: the that, Pulse. that would make sense.
1: Anyway, yeah, the loners are this support group for people who being a superhero has ruined their life, and they usually pick, like, some real C-list heroes. Like, Darkhawk is probably one of the more recognizable of the loners.
0: He's the only recognizable one. I don't know anyone
1: else. Uh, well, uh, one hero- person who went back to being a hero was uh, Lightspeed from Power Pack. Oh. Was one of the loners, and mm-hmm. um, but that always plays into her story when she shows up, is that she tried to quit being a hero for a while, go to college, like, have a couple of normal years before she returned to it.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's
1: kind of that's why I like this this idea so much is if you it becomes part of their ongoing story where even if they go back to being a superhero and joining a team or whatever, they there was a period in their life where they, that was really dark for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he goes to the, the he kind of crashes on the group and the group's like, what the hell are you doing here? You left us and there's a lot of tension there. And he comes back kind of, you know, hat in hand. Be like, I need help. And this, as much as I loved that stuff, this was really where I'm like, the writing is suffering and hurting the what's trying to be accomplished here. Because he then goes out on a date with the, the main, the leader of the group and she basically forgives him and they almost make, it's, it's,
1: it- yeah, this is where I, I had the same thing in my notes. This girl's name is Mickey. It almost it almost plays like a TV episode where like they're like they're going from scene to scene and changing locations.
0: Yeah, I don't know why they keep doing that. They they cut around and it's none of it de- develops like each page in a new place and she forgives him so quickly and so easily. And maybe there was some there was clearly backstory to this. But none of that's developed here. But It feels unearned.
1: She changes her mind a bunch of times, and all of her emotional
0: turns feel quick and unearned. Yep. She
1: forgives him. She gets mad at him. She just keeps on turning on a – it's like every – it almost reads like um, when you read a collection of comic strips, and because they were all published, like, days or weeks apart. Mm Mm-hmm. The uh, page to page, the emotional beats end up changing. So, like, you'll read a page of Calvin and Hobbes strips, and, mm-hmm. like, every line their, their like, emotional uh, temperature suddenly changes. Yeah. Because those came out a week apart. And that's what every page of this comic feels like. You turn the page, and then she's just, like, holding his hand, and you're like, wow, this is really intimate and romantic. And then by the end of the next page, she's just like, I don't want anything to do with you. And then uh, the next horrible. page, she's just... Yeah, and the next page, she's like, you have a problem, Chris! And she's, like, yelling... But I don't want to help with that problem, and also you don't seem
0: to care at all.
1: Yeah, so just um, the way he's writing these characters, this love interest in particular, is so rote and uninspired.
0: Kind of insulting to Mickey.
1: I mean, Mickey's not a real person, but, uh, but I guess that's, yeah. the, that's the big problem here, is that he doesn't write her like one. Um, yeah. But it's the same thing with the fight. Just, like, there's a fight early on because it feels like this is the moment there needs to be a fight. Then there's, like, a romance scene where he checks in with his civilian life because that's the next thing you do in an issue of Spider-Man or whatever. My my thrill of recognizing the loners wore off pretty quickly. But then the actual plot kicks off when um another Darkhawk, like, crashes
0: nearby. And his gem starts glowing, and it hurts him, and... Does it crash into his house? No, I think it crashes like in nearby.
1: His, or, like, in his backyard.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then this this Darkhawk is like, Designate Powell, and he touches him. Or he touches his hand. And suddenly the armor is out. And you know, Chris, Chris Powell, Darkhawk, is like, How did you do that? Uh, and then something crashes uh, and blows up his house, and that ends the issue. Cool?
1: I guess... We have a. Can we, can we talk about the next issue as well? Because this is where it, it, may, it starts to turn around for me a little bit. Sure.
0: I was gonna say, did you want to do it in the order that we read it? Because in between here is we read an issue of Nova. So for those who were not following, we read these uh, in a not a special reading order, but in a suggested reading order through Comic Book Herald. We posted it in the note show notes of last episode. We'll post it again here. Um, but I guess at this point, it doesn't really matter. The exact order, because some of these early these early things are, you know, they don't really affect each other.
1: Well, I wanted to talk about issue two specifically because um, there's one thing I think that this miniseries does really successfully, and that's what you were just talking about, where you said we're talking about you didn't realize that this was kind of like the origin of a lot of Darkhawk's current conflict. Yeah. And I think that really counts for something because I think that while Sibulski's ability to write, like, characters interacting like (laughs) humans and saying interesting things that, like, read well (laughs) is very minimal, his, like, mythology building and world building stuff is actually excellent. Yeah. And tying Darkhawk's mythology into the Shi'ar is great because uh, that deepens both of them. This gives the Shi'ar this, like, cool history of space sorcery that uh, gives you, like, loads of storytelling potential and cool aesthetics. And this also gives you um, more relationships, potentially, for Darkhawk. Like, you can have Darkhawk opposing uh, Cannonball, who's married to a member of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, right? That's a Darkhawk cannon versus Cannonball story. And mm-hmm. um by creating that Shi'ar connection that, like, uh, I think that's additive in a cool way. And that's that's the kind of stuff I think a good editor should be good at, is uh, guiding that side of things and seeing those sorts of connections. Yeah. And, and helping inspire that in the writers. And I, so I think Sapolsky is uh, showing a strength of his, even while he writes people like placeholder filler dialogue for a TV pilot for a sitcom in
0: 1991. Ooh, Brutal. <laughs> brutal. Accurate. But brutal.
1: Yeah, his writing is not very good.
0: No. And this this second issue really is where a lot of that mythology starts to kick off. Uh kinda of yeah. the this new arrival named Talon.
1: Shortly before the uh Batman Retcon of the same name. <laughs> I as I'm flipping through this, I I um it's the coloring and the inking that are is really bugging me. Because I really like a lot of these compositions. Like
0: um, the design of the monster thing that crashes?
1: Yeah, the design of the monster is really cool, but I can't see it under all the swirls of lightning.
0: Yeah, I was like, let me see this creepy bird.
1: Yeah, and and the action shots—I can tell there's good composition in a lot of them too. Like, uh, whenever one of the Dark Hawk guys is diving, it always catches him at a cool angle. It will uh, cut off parts of the action to like, uh. Like you'll you'll see his hand will be uh off the side mm-hmm. of the panel to to show to to sell you on the velocity like the camera can't catch up with him yeah it's very cinematic like I think that there's good pencil work happening here and I think it's the inking and the coloring and the this early digital is really making it impossible to follow.
0: Mm-hmm. Making impossible to follow and it makes it look kind of like re- chunky. Chunky is the wrong word, but you look at someone and you're like that doesn't look like a person and it doesn't even look like a stylized person. Uh, It looks like a collection of veins.
1: Everyone looks like... Everything looks like rubbery and inflated. Everyone looks like a a beach ball. Yeah. Because of the the contouring. So while I love that world-building stuff, this is also where the interpersonal stuff is is like... cringing at its at its worst.
0: Oh, with... it's at its worst. I even just have a have a note where it's like th- this is garbage dialogue. And I think it was everything be- between Mickey and um and Chris in the hospital. Yeah, that's what. Where yep. she's laying into him rightly for, you know, beating everyone up and being, you know, as mercurial as he is, but she's also being mercurial and everyone's mercurial and not in ways that feel, you know, meaningful. We oh, get to the it, end and I'm like, it, it's so cruel beans.
1: Like, um, he starts, um, he starts counting out loud as an anger management technique, and he even explains to her. He says, my, uh, my therapist explained it to me. I count, and It gives me a moment to calm down, and then she immediately says, "It's working really well, isn't it?" Sarcastically, and I was just like, "What's the, what's the point of that from anyone's perspective?"
0: Yeah, you interrupted his counting. <laughs> yeah.
1: And the the, the artwork and this scene not happening like uh, she looks like she's about to start crying and uh, her hands are like weirdly far forward they look like they're her her arms look like they're the wrong
0: length are are we sure she's not actually a supervillain like cheetah she's got because she, she's constantly clawing her hands I'm like is this supposed to be a supervillain <laughs> she's driving him to be mad that's that's kind of what I get which is not the intent and it just makes for a bad character.
1: Yeah, and as I'm flipping to the final pages of this issue actually, and there's some really like moody shots of Darkhawk fi- flying through like glyphs in the sky next to some cathedrals, and it's freaking awesome. It's it's good stuff. I there's a lot of credited artists for this issue for a lot of these minis, yeah. So I I imagine that the the page to page differences have to do with the the switch of the artists, but um it's tough cuz uh, the the character scenes have the weakest artwork and that's the weakest parts of the writing and the action stuff is hard to follow, but the exposition stuff I like.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I know we haven't really, we're not really going in order through the, the issues because nothing really happens. Honestly, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of filler, a lot of fluff just to get Chris to be interacting with Talon and for Talon to kind of be like, let me show you what you were built for, what your, cause your gem was corrupted, is not supposed to be. Paired with a human, which kind of mirrors a little bit the this entire Nova force is not supposed to be inside of a human and Richard, you're gonna die in 24 hours type thing. Just without that ticking clock, it's more of a this is a secret history you never knew about. Come, let me be your mentor. But he's also I, super sketchy.
1: Yeah, the difference—it's the difference. He's Darkhawk, right? So it's like the dark mirror of that, where Nova was learning about the glorious history of these like cool justice fighters, and Darkhawk mm. is finding out that he's part of like the Assassin's Creed, and yeah. like every—and it's all like blood chalices and like uh, like uh, moody trees of skeleton of bones, I, yeah. I, right? It's it's like uh, the. You, like, the stuff that you were saying you like, the freaky space magic stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And I like I like this development. I like that it's a are-we-the-baddies type development, which we're not really getting here. But when you have a character that says, Without that stable guiding hand of the raptor fraternity, universal culture has been sliding out of control. And Chris doesn't even question that. He's like, sure, man, whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. This doesn't really sell you on Chris being like very bright, but I, I kind of like him as like a, Bit uh, of a like, well, like an impetuous young man. I feel like a lot of Marvel heroes of, of a certain era were like this.
0: Yeah. And he, he's like, sure, whatever. Just, just get me away from here. He's probably exactly. not thinking. And I, that part worked well. I'm like, he doesn't clock it, but at the same time I can let that slide. But as an audience member, I'm like, oh, this guy's bad news.
1: Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm pretty invested in the story, even as the writing is uh, is making me frown. Oh yeah. We were talking about Nova. You want to talk about Nova number twenty three yeah.
0: to twenty five? Those yeah, issues. Let's, let's let's jump.
1: Being written by uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, illustrated by Andrea Devito and Kevin Sharp, inked by Andrea Devito, Jeffrey Hewitt, and Nelson Herrera, uh, colored by Bruno Hang, and lettered by VCs Joe Caramanga and VCs Corey Petit.
0: Oh, yeah. So issue twenty three opens, and we are getting ready to finally deal with you know what's been going on with World Mind. We've got uh, Richard. He's sitting at his uh no his how I genuinely thought he was back at home with his horrible mother and horrible father,
1: uh-huh. but
0: no he's he's at uh his quarters in Project Pegasus, which is a lot better, much nicer space.
1: And. At this point, I, mm-hmm. I'm i pretty invested in Worldmind. I've grown to quite like Worldmind as a character.
0: Yeah, and all his actions have seemed very weird and very, I'm like... What's going on with World Mind? Why does he think this? I keep coming back to that. This has been in the works for months line. And I think that was a bad choice on Abnet and Lanning. And they regretted it after putting it in an issue. And they had to live with it. Because <laughs> I yeah. think that if they had left that out, I think a lot of what I was feeling by the end of this Nova stuff would have been far more positive. I still really liked it but I think I am le- I would be less... A lot of my notes are like, well, this was a retcon to their own stuff.
1: Yeah, I like these issues, but there's definitely a sloppiness to them.
0: Yeah. But anyway, Richard is sitting, staring at a, you know, articulated doll of himself as, <laughs> as a Nova Centurion, which I find hilarious. And he's talking to the ghost of Wendell, Wendell Vaughn being like, well, I'm going to die in 24 hours. Sucks to be me. Yeah, which is
1: where we left them. Uh, Wendell is like an energy ghost now, which um, I feel like 98% of the time I'm opposed to energy ghost. You say the words energy ghost to me and I tune the fuck out. Yeah. Don't know what it is. I like ghosts. I'm down with energy. energy ghosts. Yeah, but energy ghosts just put me to sleep. But I guess Wendell Vaughn being an energy ghost is like a little forgivable because his powers are stupid energy powers. But also that's the problem with Wendell Vaughn.
0: <laughs> I don't know why they keep bringing him back. I don't know why he's Quasar again. And why, what's her face? Why, why Phylavel isn't anyway. Anyway, I wanted her to be Quasar for longer. But that's neither here nor there. That was from last time. This time Wendell's like, he's talking to Nova and he senses a disturbance in the forest and he goes poof and appears in the Guardians books we read yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and then the entire Earth is covered in a storm because uh, it's explained in a couple of pages. But at that moment, I'm like, what's going on? Turns out that when Ego left, it fucked up the <laughs> the gravitational pull of the tides or something. Love that. Love when, love fucking up the gravitational pull of the tides. Just always. Yeah. It also shows that World Minds does not care about the Earth anymore, which is fascinating because he could have prevented all of that because right. they control gravimetrics. But I I just have in my notes right after the lightning, I'm like, I just realized how the World Mind stuff mirrors conquest and in- infection of Gamora, specifically with Robbie and Trey and Lindy. And how kind of this? Uh, I'm wondering, like, once the influence of World Mind is taken away from them, what what will they be thinking? Like, will be they will be they be happy that they were free from his stuff, or will they be like, but I actually liked that, even with all the the influence, like, it gave me a specific purpose.
1: Yeah, and that's the most compelling part of uh, this arc is even though the new the new Nova recruits have just been introduced, the horror of like them being controlled by world mind and like just the freakiness of that is uh like he uh abnett and lanning i guess come from a, a warhammer background and this is like that the freaky warhammer stuff that uh i guess i sometimes find compelling wendell doesn't really have much of a conflict yeah he's such a weird presence in these books
0: yeah he's just kind of the, i think he's there as as a get out of jail free card a little bit
1: i i like i like that he's like kind of a mentor character i like him as this like kind of cosmic.
0: Force for good that everybody trusts. We don't have very many of those anymore. But they they never do much with it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we got we we have some fun conversations between Trey Lindy and Robbie. And as soon as they had these conversations, all I all I could see and all I could think was, well, who's gonna die first? Taking bets. What, oh they, yeah. Death flags all over them.
1: We've already, and uh, we, we've already talked about well, Abnett and Lenny's real good at introducing you to a crew of like, fun hotshot
0: soldiers who they're gonna kill the next issue and make you really feel it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, we get that. We get some discussions. Ego goes new and leaves us, and then we see that Hammer is taking apart Project Pegasus. Hammer, ha- having previously been under the watchful eye, or is Hammer brand new here?
1: Well, Secret Invasion would have just finished, right? That was the last yeah. story we read. And Hammer rises out of the aftermath of Secret Invasion.
0: Okay, so then you know what Tony hammer sta- was? Yeah. you know what
1: Hammer stands for, Elias? Nothing. That's correct. It stands for nothing. Hammer is—when uh, the when Green Goblin took over S.H.I.E.L.D., this is for the benefit of anyone who wasn't reading Marvel in 2009—
0: and you miss kind of the the, the best, worst
1: parts of it. Uh, I love most of... Dark Reign is one of my favorite Marvel stories, actually. I think it's mostly <laughs> fantastic. There are very few bad comics and very many good ones. But Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., immediately rebrands it, makes everybody have to wear green and purple to match his goblin aesthetic, and... Um, tried to call it hammer. And then every time someone's like, what does hammer stand for? Shield is like a cool acronym. He was like, well, figure, we'll have the marketing people figure it out. <laughs> and it's definitely a lazy joke that Bendis, that, that just reeks of Bendis like lazy joking. But damn, if that one didn't crack me up more than any time he's ever done something like that. <laughs> it works. Yeah. we just, he calls attention to the fact that it's like, a, his characters are like it's really hard to think of cool names for stuff. And you can just tell that's Bendis not wanting to think of cool names for stuff. <laughs>
0: But yeah. man, if
1: man if Hammer didn't uh, permeate so many books and just like was so big that it, it didn't come around the other end and make me crack up,
0: it's so big that they're still referencing it in mediocre to bad stories now. Yeah, and good stories, but like anytime I see one of those over overdone acronyms, I think of Hammer. <laughs> but so they they're taking apart Project Pegasus. Doctor Necker leaves, runs away, runs with Rich. And she's like, I'm going to save your life. I've I figured it out, but I need a, uh, I need a lab. So I'm going to take you to my secret lab in upstate New York. Turns out Dr. Necker was an AIM scientist.
1: And Great. I have to. Ad- I ha- but I have to admit, we've been with Dr. Necker across a couple books and a couple issues. Makes sense, though. Well, this is the kind of characters who you make turn out to be AIM scientists. Just like, I don't know, make her pop up again in a Spider-Man or something.
0: Does she just disappear after this?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure she does.
0: Yeah, because she's like, uh, as soon as Rich finds out, he's like, AIM is the worst. They're run by Tarleton. No one <laughs> likes Tarleton.
1: Elias, do you like Tarleton?
0: Uh, I, I like when he shows up in a book, but I don't particularly <laughs> like Tarleton
1: uh george tarleton the uh,
0: mental organism designed only for killing <laughs> uh for anyone who missed our modox 11 go check it out man yeah that book is such a liars bait yep excellent book so much fun
1: over at dc do you love all the different intelligent gorilla characters also <laughs> i'm just trying to I, there's like a, a certain and do you love puck from alpha flight
0: I don't know enough about Puck. I only know him in the pages of Immortal Hulk. So maybe. Who knows? I'll have to I'll have to check up more on him. But as for the rest of this, this Nova issue, we finally get that um what's it called? The quantum canister of quantumness. Dr. Necker's like, well, I'm sorry that I work with Aim, but here's a consolation prize. It's it's a Wendell Vaughn's secret sauce or whatever. Uh, and then Dr. Necker and Rich share a tender kiss, much more believable than anything in the last book. Low, and then he throws the the thing like a football, which is funny because he's a basketball player. And we see him, he's playing basketball. Anyway, he throws it and Wendell shows up again and is like, Hi, I'm Wendell. I'm your secret space ghost. I'm here to save you and he gives Richard the quantum bands. Uh, and I just wrote in my notes, uh this feels like a disservice to Vell. Even though she's got her cool sword and her new death powers and I'm like but it was but it was nice having her be Quasar. I guess, um, yeah, I liked having her be I, um
1: She goes on to take on another identity of her own, and she could have sold it, but yeah, it's it's jerking around a little too fast.
0: Yeah. Then, after this, the first issue of War of Kings. Ooh. We're jumping around so much, it's hard to get into a good flow. It is, just but... Just uh... because of the way this works.
1: No, but I got I got stuff to say about the first issue of War of Kings. Um, but I guess Let's first go. we should we should credit it. It's credited to Dan Abner and Andy Lanning, illustrated by Paul Pelletier with a uh, Bong Dezo, inked by Rich Maggiar and Andrew Hennessy with Joe Pimentel, colored by Will Quintana and Guru FX with Mike Kelleher and lettered by VCs Joe Caramanga. Um, so th- this War of Kings, like um that creative team, these issues hmm good <laughs> i think this series yes. is great
0: war of kings is by far the strongest part of war of kings which it should be it should be
1: so like right away we start with um i mean there's like a cold open but we get into some star jamming
0: with chad chad is that
1: how you pronounce that
0: i don't know i mean there's an apostrophe in the middle but so i always ch- called it odd him oh that's so much better that's so much more like a real name. Cha'od is so much less of a real Ha-od. name. Yeah, but I feel like that's how he would pronounce it. He probably would, but saying Ch'od is too fun. He, w- he would probably punch me if that was the case.
1: <laughs> well, we open with the Star Jammers, who we talked about briefly because they were in issues that we weren't really reading last time. But the current lineup of the Star Jammers is a little notable. So we've got Chod, um, who's a usual member of them. But then besides then, it's pretty much not the classic lineup of all. We've got uh, Polaris and Havoc from the X-Men, Marvel Girl, as she's going now, Rachel Summers, also from the X-Men, Empress Lilandra deposed and of the Shi'ar, and somebody named Corvus. Uh, Elias, I'm assuming you've never really encountered Corvus before these issues, before
0: this War of Kings stuff, right? Uh, Is he Space Wolverine? Because that's his entire character so far.
1: (laughs) The thing I gotta give to Corvus, though, is that he's got a big Final Fantasy sword, and that makes me like him a lot
0: but does he have nothing else going for him
1: no he's got a thing going he's like um uh, the youngest son of a noble house and then he like uh. becomes this like renegade and he's being hunted and his family was keepers of the phoenix sword which was the that final fantasy sword hmm. supposed to contain the phoenix force gotcha. and that's like and they were like the custodians of that but since the phoenix force is loose in the universe uh he's like nothing to them Wow. Corvus is cool. I like Corvus. There's a good Corvus story waiting to be told, I think. Because it sure hasn't happened yet. Anyway, there's just like a cold open with the Star Jammers doing Star Jamming stuff and like running a blockade. But it closes with, and that was how the Star Jammers came to my wedding. And I was like, I'm in.
0: Great. It's <laughs> a great opening. You can even hear like the music change. Yeah,
1: and then you uh, you turn, there's a page turn reveal of Crystal in her wedding dress. Now, Elias, what do you think of this wedding dress? It
0: is something else, but I think it's actually a really cool dress. (laughs) Yeah, it it is ugly, but it looks like something Crystal would wear. (laughs) It's a lot of of yellow and pink, and I don't know if they go together, but I'm also not a fashion person. I like the flowers at the bottom, but I guess they're supposed to be crystals because Crystal Macron or whatever. What I didn't know was that um, Polaris was related to Crystal.
1: Well, (laughs) this is uh, X-Men family trees that are touching the Summers, so it's going to get messy. Um, Crystal was married to Quicksilver, and Mm -hmm. at this point in continuity, Quicksilver and Polaris thought they were brother and sister, making Polaris... Yeah, Polaris is Crystal's sister-in-law by her first marriage, now nullified and... uh, Polaris is like, whatever. No, I'm a, I'm a great sister-in-law. Which is great, because Polaris' entire personality is being a great sister-in-law.
0: <laughs> and Crystal clearly still loves having Polaris show off show up for these things
1: yeah um and uh we're introduced at the beginning of this to like the new status quo which is now that the uh the Cree have bent the knee to the inhumans and i actually really like this angle where um the kree built the inhumans to be like their elite fighting force to be their weapons and their tools but now there's been a reversal and the kree are like acknowledging the sovereignty of their greatest creations i feel like this is such an interesting uh, change of fortune
0: yeah And it's also kind of nice that, you know, it wasn't this big bloody war. He's like, no, yeah, you're right. I never wanted to lead. Have fun. You're used to, you're used to doing this. I'm used to being a fighter.
1: I noted it a couple times, the Inhumans, I feel like, often come across as when in other Marvel stories is like, a chaotic mess. It's just, like, a lot of different guys, and you don't know who any of them are, and they're all, like, leaping into a big chaotic scrum. Mm-hmm. This is the one story where I read it, and I feel like, I get what the Inhuman society is like. I get what they value and what they're about.
0: Especially the royal family, which, granted, is most of the people we meet, but...
1: Yeah, but okay, so then... Um, uh, Pol- uh, Polaris is helping Crystal get ready for her wedding and there's this moment which is like, oh my god one of my favorite like Marvel Comics moments, this is like I, it breaks my heart is mm. you see Rhoda the Accuser Uh, is is coming to give his bride-to-be a bouquet of red flowers. And then he overhears her being like, uh, he knows it's not a serious marriage. We're just doing it politically or whatever. Like, he's not dumb. And then he just drops the flowers and storms off. Amazing artwork from Paul Pelletier, who's just, like, uh, is selling me on this amazing heartbreak. And then, like I was saying at the beginning of this, it's incredible that we've been following Ronan the Accuser, and now he's just heartbroken on his wedding day.
0: And he's still going to go through with it. It's not like he's not, but he, and it's not even like he was doing this because he, because what she's saying is true, that it is a marriage of convenience and it's an arranged marriage and all of that, but he wants to make it work and Crystal doesn't, which is also exactly who Crystal is. Yeah. So let's talk about Crystal for a second,
1: because she's kind of the main character for, for this. She's our point of view for a lot of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Crystal, I think, I do not know. I, How many people do you know who would consider themselves fans of Crystal of the Inhumans?
0: Like I said uh, last time, I think it was uh, Claire, Claire Napier over at Women Write About Comics wrote an excellent piece about Crystal, the best messy bitch. Yeah, loved that piece as well. But I don't know anyone else. <laughs> By and large, I feel like Crystal
1: accidentally always comes off like the Kardashians come across on purpose hmm uh or like real housewives or whatever i feel like um she, she always arrives there in this with, without any agency yeah and that's how she's coming here right she's callous and she's saying everything she's saying loud enough so that somebody in the next room can hear it and get upset and if that happened she would obviously be like what no of course not but like uh she isn't she never does anything to change her behavior mm-hmm. which i'll talk more about in a second but i um which is something i like about this story but for now, I want to jump to our introduction to the unquestionable villain of this piece, Vulcan,
0: who we're introduced to. Ah, uh, Vulcan. Well, we kind of met him last time in a uh, prologue issue, essentially, War of Kings, Who Will Wear the Crown or something. I think it might have just—no, no, Secret Invasion, War of Kings. That was it. Yeah, he shows up for a scene there. Yeah, and I learned about, about him in that—in the best miniseries I've ever read— x-men kingbreaker
1: well nothing in x-men kingbreaker or that prologue issue can match this one nine panel grid for, as a character interaction you know that's correct the, the one i'm talking about
0: yeah the roll call
1: yeah so he's just doing roll call for the shiar imperial guard yep uh halfway through he bumps into smasher now if you've read a lot of hickman avengers stuff you'll know that uh this guy is not going to be smasher shortly <laughs> Uh, but he's just like, Smasher, didn't I kill you? And they're like, no, 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 that was the last Smasher. And he's just like, oh, whatever, okay. And then uh, about halfway through the roll call, he's like, okay, this uh, this lost its novelty like out, like minutes ago. <laughs> why, why are we still doing this? Yeah, 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 I'm bored. Can we go now? And this is so effective for me because I feel like this is if Chris Pratt's Star-Lord was the bad guy.
0: K- kind of, Yeah.
1: It's like weaponizing his
0: yeah
1: well it's like weaponizing his man childishness and it's really effectively scary because man children are terrifying
0: when they have power which they too often do oh yeah Uh, that's what makes Vulcan such an effective villain you're just like there's nothing redeeming in this guy in this story and you're just like and the fact that he's not he's not charismatic he kind of he sort of is but he all of his power is the power is what keeps him in power. That makes any sense his superpowers are
1: so op that ev- yeah. no, everyone fe- feels fears him he's he's like a, a bad superman
0: story yeah
1: or a, a superman god bad story some of which are good stories
0: <laughs> there, there, there are fewer of those but uh yeah w- and within a framework where everyone has to obey him so in babylon 5 this is exactly what's going on in season four uh with uh the centauri emperor Like Vulcan and uh, Emperor Cartagia, same character. And it's great. Down to the Roman aesthetics, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually. Right down to that. But here you've even got uh, Gladiator who's like, well, I hate the guy,
1: but I got to serve him. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit because Gladiator is uh, kind of the runaway quiet hero of the story.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, we have a wedding to attend. The the
1: wedding looks great. The sci-fi details of how they're like carving out an ice palace out of one of the poles is fucking
0: cool. And all the panels, all the flowers. It's just a gorgeous, all-around gorgeous book. And of course, you know, you can't have a wedding with the Inhumans or even in the Marvel Universe without something going horribly wrong and a shapeshifter that's not a scroll. Shows up and uh, blows up, I don't know if it's the whole thing or just a whole, a section of the wedding before it can finish. And then they all start invading. The Shi'ar invades the homeworld. Yeah. Which is
1: wild. In a book called uh, War of Kings, where this is the premise, this is exactly, this fight scene is exactly what I want out of it. The... Uh, Star Jammers are teaming up with the Inhuman Royal Family to fight the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. And there's just um, a lot of jumping around from different cool people using their powers and other good splashy images. There's a Black Bolt team fighting uh, up against a Gladiator moment that's pretty thrilling.
0: And it's nice seeing different, you know. The power's being used and nullified, and, like, Black Bolt's not even allowed to speak because they use a white noise jammer because they know Black Bolt's there. And then poor Cha'od, Lilandra gets kidnapped, pulled through a portal, and Cha'od lo- loses his arm. Yeah, oh. we, in a
1: tragic moment, but at least he's comforted by his friend, Screet,
0: <laughs> uh, who sits upon his shoulder for these. Is that really the name? Yeah,
1: that's his little, uh, like, furry bird buddy.
0: So we have two Screets. One is an annoying, tiny, floaty pixie, and the other one is a very cute bird.
1: Wait, now I gotta double check that that's his name, but I'm very, very sure it's something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Oh my uh, god! But what if, what if I'm while, wrong?
0: While you're looking that up, we got more battles, and poor old Ronan, he just gets his clock cleaned, he gets his hammer destroyed. It's just it's not good for any of the the uh, cree uh, and speaking of uh, his little friend's
1: name is cree there we go <laughs> Yeah, but at the end of the battle, um, Lilandra has been captured by Vulcan, which is bad news, and Ronin is in really bad shape. The wedding has been, like, blown all to hell. And the last page is uh, Black Bolt shirtless with, like, his mask mostly hanging off next to his wife Medusa who's shouting, And you shall pay in blood. And I'm like, hell yeah, it's a War of Kings, baby. Yep. And that's how you end a first issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this really feels like a Marvel event from this era, right? Like, top yeah. to bottom. There's these tie-ins that are, uh, some of them are kind of good, but none of them are essential, and a lot of them are seem like they came together under weird circumstances. And then yeah. there's like a central series that's pretty,
0: pretty compelling. Yep, kind of like how, for some reason, the second volume of Guardians is just subtitled War of Kings Part 1, even though none of it seemed to have anything to do with the War of Kings yet. Kind of like that. Yeah.
1: There's another issue uh, that uh, I wanted to ask you about. Mm Mm-hmm. So did you end up reading War of Kings, Savage Sword of Scar?
0: Yes, I did. But before we get to that, we should probably talk about the Nova 24 and War of Kings number two.
1: Oh, of course. Curse this reading order.
0: (laughs) The audience, even even we, the ones who have been obsessing about this for probably weeks, trying to get it right, still continually like, wait, which 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 is when? Marvel doing me dirty like this? Um, yes. So Nova number
1: twenty four. Oh, this is the one where Nova, the Nova Corps, kind of joins the War of Kings a
0: little bit. A little bit, kind of, sorta, but it it's enough that it's after war has been declared, all of that. You know, all that fun stuff. And we get to see, you know, them actually start fighting. Robbie is, of course, stuck on desk duty, which is exactly where he should be. And it makes for very compelling Robbie character stuff.
1: Yeah, are you getting into Robbie a little bit?
0: I am. I didn't like him when he was first introduced as a Nova Corpsman or as a Nova Centurion or whatever. Mostly because of all the World Mind stuff. I was like, this doesn't track. But as soon as that got fully revealed, I'm like, okay, I can get behind this. Especially because Robbie seems to be having, much like his brother, he's the one that's kind of pushing against world mind the most yeah he his programming his brainwashing he's like something doesn't seem right even though he's all in he's you know fighting back against directives and he's disobeying orders and kind of twisting it all around and he's a little more straight-laced than than Richard so he's kind of doing it within the rules but I like that kind of stuff it makes for you know compelling drama even though he's stuck behind a desk and the scenes can't be that dynamic yeah, well I
1: I when we were reading those issues I was remember reading Robbie and liking him and when you were not feeling it I was like, "Oh no, do I misremember this?" But I guess uh, I'm taking some emotions from the full read through cuz I always feel like Robbie has like a lot of heart even though he's he kind does. of a fuck up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really showing here and I just really like all of the this not the war stuff, but Abden and Lanning, every time they kind of are delving into the people fighting the wars. War of Kings is very much a top level war, but this is getting to the bottom level. And so we have Suki, who's, you know, out there on the front lines. She's never done this before. She was essentially drafted, and she said, what, two weeks, three weeks of training? Maybe a month? Yeah, by world minds in this like sketchy circumstance. Out. Yeah like so rightfully so yeah it's i love that it's great and of course she's afraid of war War is terrifying and anyone who's like yeah we should go back to war maybe think twice about that
1: i was just talking about how cool the superhero fighting was in that first issue of war of kings so this is like a cool contrast of showing like yeah the um the Inhuman royal family gets to have a cool superhero fight where the worst casualty goes to the hospital that looks really cool with bandages in cool places. (laughs) But like some people are fighting this war and it's like a whole different uh, flavor
0: of story. And they're just being decimated because none of them know what they're doing. And Robbie even brings this up. He's like, why are we fighting? None of the, the, these people know what they're doing here on the ground, lending more credence to Richard's hesitations before forming a new, Novacor, which is a very a, a nice tension in between. And eventually we check back in with, with Richard who's floating above what's it called? He's in the Zaros system, eighteen parsecs from the Cree Frontier. He's just kind of floating in space as Quasar, talking to his ghost mentor. And then he's he makes copies of himself. I, I guess the idea now is that um
1: this is like how uh Rick Jones and Captain Marvel kind mm-hmm. of uh, would, like, switch places, right? And, like, that's what made them a superhero as, like, one fighting unit. And so they're yeah. doing, like, a bit on that where uh, Richard Ryder currently isn't Nova because he's fighting with Nova, so he is Kazar. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're kind of, like, doing a bit, but it's not a great bit.
0: Now, I mean, I like Wendell well enough here. He's fine. But I, I, I think yeah what,
1: Wendell's they my least favorite part of the something. story i I like the Robbie stuff a lot um i I'm very invested in Richard not Wendell yeah i I guess this is where I like him the most though because this is like where he and uh i I like that captain Marvel bit where they're their body swapping to be one superhero <laughs> it's like yeah. a, a it's like an alternate take on Shazam
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good one anyway. too but anyway. anyway. Richard is going to fight Ego, who is doing another mass recruitment drive from some other planet. And the Imperial Guard shows up on Suki's planet, just destroys the Nova Corps, takes him out. And Praetor, not Praetor, uh, Gladiator grabs the new Nova Prime, uh, who I forget his name. Some Shi'ar guy who looks like, you know, generic everyman. He looks like Richard Ryder. I think I made that comment when he first showed up too, and once he's gone, the prisoners are there, and the rest of the royal guard looks at the looks at them and are like, "I don't see any prisoners. I just see already dead bodies." She's his practice targets, but that's the same thing, and they're all murdered, including yeah. Suki. But Brutal. this she, our guy, gets to survive, and I'm bitter about that.
1: I'm pretty bitter too. I mean, this is like an unfortunate pattern with Abnett and Landing, where they've uh, introduced a couple of like cool fighter babes down on the planet and then uh, killed them off by the end of the story For to Bay motivate uh, mostly Richard Ryder. Yep. Well, the writers, all the
0: writers. Yeah, all the all Zuki's the writer boys. death modifies uh, or motivates uh, Robbie. Motivates Robbie.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like um, you get, to... you could write it into your ongoing comic once, but. Twice or more, and I'm going to give you a side-eye.
0: Yeah, we've got... We had Corel. We had Suki. We had someone else in the middle there, too. Uh, Corel and Suki, though, I feel like uh, the circumstances are very similar. Yeah, yeah. They are. But moving on from that, because the issue seems keen, too, we fly into the center of Ego, which looks really cool and really creepy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the Center of Ego stuff. This is, um... I, ego is like a Marvel... This is one of my favorite Ego is the villain stories. Yeah, yeah. That's we not tough to say. Him. There's a lot, a lot of good mm-hmm. ones. But this is, uh, I guess, this was one of the first ones where I understood the potential of like what freaky stuff you could do with ego. How like flying through him can be a creepy thing, and how he's got these mental powers, and how a lot of the time you can give him a sensible motivation, but because he's ego, he's like so selfish that the way he goes about it is horrifying
0: hmm And this is kind of one of those where he merges with Worldmine, who was also very selfish. And so you get just super selfish, you get the super ego. Yeah. <laughs> and uh turns out that Worldmind and e- world Worldmine was infected by ego and the two kind of merged. And so Yeah. That's why he's been betraying Richard this whole time. And then the issue ends with, uh, super ego or I guess Nova ego, world ego, ego I like, mind. I like ego mind. Ego mind zaps Richard with eye beams, and who knows what could happen? Well, we know, but we'll find out later. Because next up, more War of Kings. Oh, this is this is my stuff. Yeah, that that was a surprise. Like that's a. That that Nova issue was surprisingly short when I was reading it. I think it's just because it moved with a lot of action, uh, and every time we jump back to War of Kings, it's so it's so much more dense.
1: Yeah, the no well that Nova issue is a lot of like big pages of war stuff, and this is a lot of uh, a lot happens in this issue actually. Yeah, but okay, so like um, it's a War of Kings, and it's starting off with like we're back to big space war stuff. Um, in the grand scheme of things pretty effective. Like you said, it's uh, a lot more like Admiral Dreadnought stuff, looking at the explosion
0: of a planet and then Vulcan getting a little horny for it as he tortures people. Yeah. Using a bomb that should never have been allowed to be used because war crimes. And again, the the, the Centauri parallels continue.
1: And uh, like uh, gleefully committing these galactic war crimes that are way out of proportion. I Again, I see the Warhammer influence really strongly.
0: Yeah. And of course he brings in Lalandra to gloat, because what good evil emperor would you be if you didn't bring in the deposed former empress into your throne room to gloat about killing millions upon millions of people? So far in our scheme of villainous despots,
1: so we've got, um, in this run so far, we've got Annihilus, Thanos, Blastar, Vulcan- Would you put
0: Ravenous there?
1: Nah, Ravenous doesn't- Ravenous doesn't count. (laughs) <laughs> he's such a lackey. Uh, Vulcan and um, who's the at Ultron? Oh yeah. How is your where would Vulcan rank on that?
0: They're they're all so different. I think Annihilus is the one I had the most fun with because he's giant space bug and he's so petulant. Thanos is one of those calculating, long term guys who you really don't know what his deal is until the very end. Uh, but I think I think Vulcan is solidly mid to top of all of them. Because he's just so cartoonishly evil, but most emperors that wanted to go on war-whatevers were this cartoonishly evil. It's just in space. He's like, he doesn't care. He's seeing things at this high level. He's surrounded by the court, and all he cares about is wielding the power that he has in ways that make him, you know, happy. And what makes him happy is making other people suffer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and on the other side of things, uh, there's trouble too because uh, we cut to the Cree rioting against their new inhuman rulers because obviously that was going to be a pretty uh, controversial idea. And the first thing that happens is this brutal war breaks out.
0: Yeah, not not a great, not an auspicious start to their rule.
1: But this also is where um, this is where stuff gets really exciting for me because this is where. So we see Crystal is in the hospital visiting her new husband, Ronan. It's questioned, but they – but it turns out uh, like enough of the wedding proceeded that it counted. They got – she got married. And this is where the Crystal character development happens. And I think this is such a good move for Crystal. It makes so much sense to me. And it's kind of a shame to me that we haven't seen more done with it, even though there was a whole attempt at an Inhumans revival after this. Yeah. Did Crystal even feature in that? Not
0: heavily. Wow. That's that's a shock.
1: But this is where they uh, they take Crystal and they move her from that, like, reality show Real Housewives vibe Mm -hmm. and they turn her into a princess diana yeah and there's a scene where she goes outside and she sees some crew refugees and she uses her powers to raise up stone and water and create a fountain of clean water because they need clean water and she can just do that like with a thought and uh, i like that it's polaris not crystal who's like get the cameras rolling because she realizes what an opportunity this is
0: yeah and she's just motivated by she's like i have to do something
1: yeah, and this is such a believable arc that this like privileged influencer would get into like a certain kind of Angelina Jolie activism, and that people would really like it. I feel like that's such an interesting character for her to represent, like the idle rich who decides to go and do charity work. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the book shows her perspective a lot, and also isn't doesn't let her get off with like with no criticism either.
0: Yeah. But it's also, it, it is, you know, it's a moment of growth for her because she saw, like, she listens to Ronan. You know, the The whole thing this is a marriage con- convenience. She doesn't really care, but she sees who Ronan actually is and sh- and what he was fighting for and all the damage that he suffered. And it doesn't matter if there is or is not the kind of love that she would hope for in a marriage. There's enough care there that she's like, I want to do right by Ronin for the people here. Like, this isn't the inhumans. This isn't our our previous society. This is completely different. I think it clicks here that she's not in the normal the normal realm as well as within the privileged realm of the royal family. Elias, are you trying to tell me that you ship
1: Ronan the Accuser and Crystal of the Inhumans as portrayed on screen by Lee Pace and someone who IMDb is telling me is named Isabel Cornish?
0: No. Okay. I, I, I mean, the movie Ronan was nothing like this guy. Oh, but imagine if he was. And the Inhumans and the Inhumans show.
1: Ooh. Oh, don't imagine that at all. Ooh, bad. The next guy we uh, cut to is uh, he who is called Maximus the Mad. And I really love this role for Maximus, where um, because of the war, he is on the Inhuman side, when so often he's a villain or a captive and he can't be trusted. Like, they're united by the war, but he's still bringing out all their worst impulses. Like, he, he's not a, a good guy, per se. Um, and I, I love that shifty ally, yeah, especially if he's the weapons manufacturer. Yeah, and then it's crazy that you just stop to think about Maximus's whole premise is that he's got the superpowers of Purple Man and Forge combined, and then also that he's got the personality of Loki.
2: <laughs>
1: just, like, what a wild character. I really like Maximus, and I think he's super fun here, and you can feel like he's barely got it together, but also like he's going to do exactly what you ask him, and that's how you know it's a terrible idea. Maximus yeah. is your friend who's trying to get you into bitcoin and the fact that it's this friend is exactly the confirmation you need to tell you
0: not to invest in bitcoin. Exactly. But the the inhumans are investing in bitcoin anyway and they send out these chorus sentries to fight. And these chorus sentries are kind of terrifying but also hilarious. They're basically just black bolts in mech form. And they kind of look like manta rays when they're flying.
1: Yeah, I, I thought they were a you design. And I, I kind of dug this action scene in general because um, this is the first time that, it, like, I, as I was saying, I kind of got the Inhumans. Like, there was the part where Triton was leading a bunch of uh, aquatic humans for, like, mm-hmm. a zero-gravity operation.
0: Yeah, that was really cool.
1: And it just makes sense to me that the inhumans are this society based around having all these weird superpowers that they would like organize around synergistic powers and like do cool stuff with that to accomplish their goals. Mm-hmm. So them having like a military force that like used uh people who could navigate in that situation, I was just like, Oh yeah, they're a superpowers culture. It's just I that never gets portrayed as well as it does here.
0: Yeah, which is which is a shame. Yeah. So our issue, our issue concludes with Vulcan finding out, you know, there was all that kablooey destruction, uh, and he's very mad, blows up a few, few things, a few people, uh, and he's like, all right, I'm going to kill the Empress now. And that's how we end the issue. Yeah. Which is like a,
1: whatever, as far as cliffhangers go. I'm like, oh well, yeah, let's see. <laughs> let's
0: see if you go
1: through with that. You probably won't. Meanwhile, Savage World of Sekar.
0: Did you read that? I did. I told you not to. You told me not to, but I am nothing if not a completionist, and I am nothing if not uh, deeply self-loathing, so of course I was going to read it. And it was a big, big old nothing issue. <laughs> so
1: did you read uh, like
0: the World War Hulk and the Planet Hulk Fallout no, issues? No, I didn't read any of the stuff that, that kind of goes around it.
1: Yeah, this is one of these things. I kind of like that Marvel does this, where after an event, when there is like one of those characters who's like left in a weird limbo situation because they're not they don't fit into any particular series. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do like a little one shot to tie into something random. I feel like this, they used to do this every so often and they're really weird but you find them in collections like this.
0: Yeah, and it's I mean it's fine. It's mostly a battle between some Shi'ar guy and some inhuman and you know, they have they form a, an unlikely alliance on the planet Scar, Sakar. I think it's Sakar. Uh, and then they have to fight Scar, which is Hulk's son from this this planet. Don't worry about it.
1: He's kind of like a Hulk who's like a Conan the Barbarian gladiator guy. Yeah,
0: and he doesn't burn in lava. Cause well, why he's not? invincible. Yeah, the invincible Hulk. The invincible Scar. And then it ends with a bunch of betrayal and, you know, reaffirming that the, these two could never get along. And, yeah, it's a whole lot of nothing.
1: It's a whole lot of nothing. Um, I, I did flip through it. It was in the one of my trade collections. It's as nothing as I remembered. It. it was penciled by Graham Nolan and Riley Brown. I thought the pencils were pretty good in it. I thought these were some of the best pencils in the in the issues we looked at today, actually.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if the planet ends up playing any any importance because they're like, and then we got we have to capture it, but I don't know if they actually end up doing anything.
1: No, I don't think we come back to that, but it's a it's whatever. Yeah. It's a it's a whatever issue. Uh, so we have some more exciting issues to talk about, including the conclusion of today's War of Kings reading, and we're going to get to that right after a break.
0: Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back. We are talking the first half of War of Kings, and this is the second half of the first half. Uh, as Oh you my do. god. Oh my god. As if, as if I wasn't struggling enough to keep everything straight. <laughs> I'm here to make Jake's life stif- difficult uh it's it's my passion oh my god yeah when you love what you do you never work a day in your life okay so first (laughs) we're going to be talking about a weird
1: little mini-series called war of kings warriors um and um yeah this is i this is the kind of thing that marvel used to do a lot with these events right they would just like hire a bunch of guys to do they still do this sometimes a little one-off stories like uh civil war frontline had a bunch of stuff like this Mm mm-hmm
0: and I always liked those. Like My my favorite part of Civil War was, like, Frontline and, and those kinds of stories. Um, but I also kind of like the stories that deal with people on the ground, and that's what a lot of those were. Uh, this one is, you know, we get a few short stories with a bunch of different characters, and it is very helpfully and importantly tagged, uh, at least for the first issue. Both of these stories take place before the events of War of Kings number 1. Why are we reading it here? Well, because, you know, you don't want to be re- spoiled for any of the stuff in War of Kings number one. Obviously. Yeah, so
1: so the first story in War of Kings uh, Warriors is a gladiator story called Duty, written by Christos and Gage, uh, penciled by Mahmoud Asrar, inked by Mahmoud Asrar and Jeffrey Hewitt, colored by Val Staples, and lettered by Dave Sharp. And I gotta say, Elias, of these, um, these four stories, mm-hmm. uh, this one was definitely my favorite by a great
0: deal. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, not astra's best work. Yeah, very early in his career, I think. He's yeah, young. but still, yeah. still surprisingly good. If it's that early in his career.
1: Yeah, the, the 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 digital colors are not doing his work any favors here, and he gets much better than them. But you can see um, really great design work, and he's making all these like busy costumes that the other artists were making hard to follow. Look, uh, really good. Like it, when he gets his shot at designing costumes, his are much better than these.
0: Oh, yeah. And he makes just the whole thing look very clean and very clear, which is nice. There's a lot of empty space, but it never feels, you know, empty. Uh, it feels expansive instead. Uh, and, and it doesn't feel busy.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And what, what this story is, is this story is an origin story for Gladiator. And what's neat about this is Gladiator um, features in, in X-Men Phoenix Saga stuff. So, I've known Gladiator since I was a kid from X-Men the Animated Series and whatnot. Uh, his design, I always kind of like, uh, when I was younger, pushed me away. I've, I've kind of grown to like it, but uh, it's very colorful and very busy and that there's that mohawk and that corny, old-fashioned, Silver Age superhero costume, mm-hmm. uh, although SRR makes it look really good. But I loved these issues because this, for me, are the issues that most inform how I think about Gladiator's motivation.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I kind of we kind of alluded to it earlier, but this is this sells at least for me, this really sells why Gladiator is doing what he's doing, even though he doesn't agree with any of it. He's like because he clearly hates Vulcan. He hates what Vulcan stands for and is doing. But he fills this position and his duty is to this position. And it goes beyond just like regular, oh, I feel this, you know, uh, an important duty. Uh, it's baked into his culture and then his entire backstory. And the whole reason that he has this position is because he did all these horrible things. And he allowed these th- these other things to happen in order to be loyal to whoever that he had declared loyalty to. The, or the had... Shiar. It was yeah. the
1: Shi'ar Magister back in the day. Um... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Who is so he, horrible?
1: Yeah, well, he's from a long line of horrible sheer magisters. Um, but yeah, he orders uh gladiator Kalark to go and kill the like elder council of his planet with all the other gladiator corps. And um the the gladiator corps gets their powers from their their self confidence. And as they waver, their powers stop working, and they cease to be invincible. And one by one, they all waver, and they um. And they die, and he's the only one who accomplishes the mission.
0: Yep. One other one survives, and then that's how we kind of find out that Kalark knew about all of this, and he still did it anyway.
1: Yeah, and that, like, insane loyalty is to sell you on why he is serving Vulcan and following him around right now, even though he's so obviously incompetent. And we know Kalark is, like, super powerful being in the universe. He could probably, like... If anyone could fight Vulcan, it's probably him. Yeah. So um, what what gives? And this, this sells you on it.
0: It really does. And th- that's about all I have to say about it, uh, other than strongest, definitely something that helps, you know, inform his other actions later and give a little more depth to it. Like Like, if I hadn't read this, I probably would have felt the same way about what he was doing elsewhere in War of Kings. But having read this, I have a better understanding and a better um, – I better, I guess, enjoy it.
1: Totally. Um, and the next War of Kings warrior story that we read was the Blastar story called Homecoming, written by Christos N. Gage, penciled by Carlos Magno, inked by Jeffrey Hewitt and Norman Lee, colored by Andy Troy and Sotocolor, and uh, lettered by Dave Sharp. Yeah, mm-hmm is right. Um. It's kind of a nothing story that just proves what we already knew, which is that Blastar is the galaxy's greatest meathead.
0: <laughs>
1: I love Blastar. Yeah. My notes just say, Robert E. Howard shit.
0: <laughs> it's a lot of punching, a lot of... Yeah, it's almost entirely one big punch out.
1: Yeah. Um. And, and it ain't a bad punch out. No,
0: no, it's fine. But it, it's... All Blastar, so it's him, he fights his dad, his dad isn't so great, but he's worse, and then it just kind of ends. He wins, it's over, Blastar gets people cheering behind him, we understand who he is a little bit better,
1: but- The artwork's really groovy, the sound effects are really fun, like a lot of Kirby Crackle and sparks and dots flying everywhere, I just like, uh... I love Blastar and I'll spend uh, 15 pages with Blastar fighting his dirtbag dad. Yeah, yeah. It's a story where Blastar fights his Dirtbag Dad.
0: (laughs) There's not much more to it. The next issue, War of Kings, uh, we have two more stories, this time of Crystal and Lalandra.
1: Right. So the Crystal Story is called Growing Pains, written by Jay Fairbur, uh, penciled by Andrea Milo, inked by Mariah Bennis, colored by Nai Rufino, lettered again by Dave Sharp. And this Crystal Story
0: It's an all right story. Um this Crystal right. Story I was
1: not into. Yeah, it's
0: what are the I, I I I had so few notes on this. I was like, "Sure. Cool." Um, my problem with this crystal story... So this crystal story was like a
1: little bit of the playing with the character work that I was just singing the praises of a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just like in the most boring... It's it's just like trite and um, the dialogue is very poorly written and everyone has like a real stilted voice. It's just like not a very good issue. But what really kills it is the penciling is horrifying. It's just like... There's one panel in particular where uh, Crystal's, like, enormous boobs are just, like, shooting up past her elbows. And uh, her abs are just, like, all so chiseled they look like tinier boobs. And then she's, like, blasting her superpowers at at the ground but, like, right towards her crotch. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this page? And all of the artwork is like this. It's just, like, horrifying contortions and these bodies that are, like – like Jinji Ito nightmares.
0: Yeah, And I, and I, the, the kind of the, like the underlying story is also suspect with the way rebellions written about, like when, when you write about these kinds of like underground rebellion things and, you know, someone learning about it, you gotta be kind of careful. And this falls on the meh side. Yeah. Especially with, bombings. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like thematically, uh, yeah, completely flat for me. Yep. And then we
0: get a Starjammer story.
1: Yeah, so then we get this, uh, Lelandra story called Rite of Passage, written by Jay Fairbur, uh, illustrated by Ramon Perez, colored by Nathan Fairbairn, and lettered by Dave Sharp. I mean, the most notable thing about this story is the radical art shift, right?
0: Oh, yeah. It's a lot more stylized, it's a lot more, um... What's the word? Not flat, but it's a lot more cartoony, a lot brighter. Yeah, it not cl- it's cl- more classic. It's a lot more stylized. Yeah, sure. definitely a
1: lot more stylized. So the the art style is pretty notable, and it ends up being kind of like a Lilandra characterization issue, which again is uh, pretty cool because um, Lilandra shows up in a lot of stuff, and you get that she's the Empress, and that that's a hard job, and she's got to make hard decisions. Mm-hmm. But you rarely ever see her um, in another context, so this was cool seeing her like get trained to flip around and have sword fights and be a fun royal princess for a little bit. Yeah,
0: and she gets to fight the brood. She gets to win against the brood. Gets to show off her 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 smarts, uh, and also learning that practice is in fact important.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, what a that's great the... lesson. Well, she's uh, yeah again thematically very flat. She's a brat but she's a bratty princess, and I like the. Uh the characterization
0: yeah and that's about it with the warriors it's it's a nice check-in for each of them i have no idea why blaster showed up he's nowhere in these first few issues but uh, he, i guess he also, becomes more important
1: he, nah, i wouldn't go so far to say important but we'll see him in the next set of issues
0: well oh right 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 because of the negative zone right uh, that's where dark hawk is going speaking of dark hawk we now get what is essentially war of kings dark hawk number three in War of Kings uh, Ascension number one. Yeah. Which is fine. Oh. I mean it's fine. I didn't take too many notes on this one. It was you know, it was an introduction issue, but it's a it was a lot of fighting in the negative zone, uh a little bit of backstory for Talon, the other shoe dropping on on him being, you know, horrible. No duh.
1: Yeah, which no doubt, but um, yeah, uh, but it's um, for, I like these issues. I I don't have much to say about them either, except that I like them for uh, for pacing reasons.
0: Yeah, and I like the conflict between Talon and Chris. They basically they they go into the negative zone, uh, so that Talon can show Chris, you know, all the things he can do as a raptor, try to get him onto his side, but also, you know convince him to learn how to do more stuff with his his powers and then they kind of bond a little bit and they invade Catastrophus's oh my god now that is what I'm talking about that is an amazing
1: name Catastrophus
0: great he actually he I love this this one line uh it is called Heteropateron it is the mightiest of Lord Catastrophus's nomad fortress that's the kind of shit I love.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm feeling it. I really, I'm, I'm digging this vibe. I should ask you for recommendations, actually. I don't think I've explored this genre very deeply. <laughs> Did you ever get into um, a novel called uh, Nine Fox Gambit? No. I think that might be some Elias bait right there. It's got, like, uh, creepy ghosts and calendar magic and spaceships made out of bones.
0: Ooh, oh, I love a good bone spaceship.
1: <laughs> you heard it here first, people.
0: What I like about the this issue, even though it's not that it's a lot of nothing, but there's just not a lot to, to go in depth to talk about. I like the use of the raptor powers and how, you know, Talon creates this raptor out of metal, sends it flying to be recon. It's a lot yeah. a lot of fun, cool, cool uses of powers. And they're trying to steal the cosmic control rod back from Catast- Catastrophus, who I guess had stolen it from Annihilus after he after died. After Annihilus
1: died. I like, um, like you. I like their uh, dynamic together. I don't always love when they're the power ideas are all really cool and fun. And again, they're all like spooky space black magic, which is yeah. I, I didn't know I liked this before today. Actually, thank you, Elias. I'm learning stuff about myself. <laughs> but sometimes the artwork is still too busy. The inks are too much, or whatever it is. But there's so many lines on everything. Like uh, when they're like turning into like super mode and having all these guns and extra pouches.
0: What Hard do you mean my... you need more guns?
1: Hard for my eye to follow at times. Uh, my old eyes.
0: <laughs> my old eyes. It's too, We're too far from the 90s to really appreciate this. Uh, by the end of the issue, Chris has had his uh, gem activated. No, that is not a euphemism.
1: I liked and...
0: – um, I, I,
1: some, some of the banter was very 2009, like uh, when he says a bunch of exposition. He's like, was that was I not clear? And Chris was just like, no, you sound like you were reading random paragraphs from The Hobbit. I was like, that's a <laughs> sick 2009 burn.
0: Yep. This is also where he finally gets the full info dump of who the raptors were and what they were doing. And he has his are we the bad baddies moment. Uh, And then his personality is subsumed by the raptor personality uh, in the gem. And so now we've got two evil raptors fighting around. The new raptor is named Razor.
1: Oh, my God. I wrote in my notes about Razor. That's dumb. I wrote dumb name. Razor. What do you mean?
0: I love it. It's Talon and Razor. Talon and Razor. Um, (laughs) The the most Edgy names ever. <laughs> at least one wasn't named Blood Gun. I would have preferred hours. Blood Gun. I like
1: it when Razor looks right at the uh, reader and says, "There is only Razor." Good moment. Anyway, and then we get to see a sequence of um, in the next issue of Talon and Razor like working side by side, and it's pretty brutal. It's awesome.
0: It is. They fight the bugs. Before we get there, we have a few more issues to go. Your trade sounds like it was not not put in the reading order it really wasn't i keep on (laughs) turning the page not realizing i'm jumping away from you or even jumping away from the issue do they even have a you know a break in the issue i guess not marvel marvel why do you do this oh that's right because you want to talk
1: guardians of the galaxy number 13
0: yeah the only guardians of the galaxy issue we actually read in this yeah um but it ties right into a particular scene. Yes, if I can remember the scene, I have all these notes, but clearly they, they do nothing for me. Uh, well, for Guardians we, of the Galaxy. I mean, we op- we open the Guardians of the Galaxy on as you do a bar fight, right? It's great. I love I love the look on uh, Rick Flag and um, Jack Flag. Rick quote, Flag is the distinguished oh, competition. Jack Flag and like, like some su- some kind of Suicide Squad. Uh, Jack Flag and Peter Quill, they're just looking so smug as they beat up everyone in this bar. And so it's, we, our team right now is Philavell, who's looking real angry, Moondragon, Jack Flag, Peter Quill, Mantis, Bug, Major Victory, Drax, Groot, and Rocket. We've got the whole team back, but no Cosmo. How sad. Not that, yeah, he's not on the team officially yet. <sighs> no Cosmo. Oh, and we get, get Philavel
1: in her new look as a martyr.
0: God, that that name.
1: Yeah, that's not... It has the... a.
0: I I love how it's such a bad name and is clearly a commentary on Penance. I hadn't thought of that, but I think you're right. <laughs> Our good friend Penance. Hey, you like Penance now. I like... No, I like his use. I still think Penance was a terrible idea.
1: Well, obviously it was a terrible idea, but if a terrible idea was only used well, was it a terrible idea? Uh, this isn't a philosophy class. You're only saying that because you've never watched The Good Place. Then you would know that this was a philosophy class. Oh, God. Anyway. um, Quick, back to mindless entertainment. This is the issue where um they, like, uh, do the softball draft, right? Kind of, yeah. Where uh,
0: Rocket and Peter are like, all right, we got to divide this up for the war.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I love – that's such a great scene. <laughs> It's like, all right, who's gonna take on Black Bolt and who's gonna take on Vulcan? And one of us like, well, Vul- Vulcan's completely unhinged; so he's not gonna listen to anything we have to say. And it's like, okay, I'll go to, I'll go with Black Bolt because he might actually listen to me. Right, but then uh, Rocket's like, all right,
1: if I have to go to Vulcan, then I get like Groot, and I get a uh, major victory, uh, and he just, uh, and I get uh, Mantis or whatever. He just like gets the entire, like every. Uh, t- heavy hitter on the team he's just like obviously negotiations are gonna break down i get everyone who's worth
0: a damn yep and they're like we can do this can't can, can we they're clearly not ready for it and i like also this was this was a way to have everyone be in the issue but also not have to juggle 12 people in every scene
1: yeah because it's, it's like a it's a pretty overwhelmingly big team at this point i was wrong cosmo
0: is here yeah i thought he, he f- made an appearance i did he does be and he has a great gag he would never let us down. He would never let us down. I love it. I love how the the, the telepathic joke that we never hear. Oh, where he and Mantis are giggling? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and I love uh, that they become best friends. Just uh, that makes a lot of sense to me,
0: Cosmo and Mantis. It was perfect. And, I mean, the rest of the issue is mostly them trying to be diplomatic on, on each planet. Well, Quill's trying to be much more diplomatic. And he presents a really well well-thought-out case... Are well articulated to Black Bolt, and Medusa, and everyone. Yeah, I thought uh, so too. And he's like, "Please stop this war." And Medusa's just like, "No." Black Bolt sits there looking down at him over his nose. I like no how everyone. this um this goes mm-hmm. with the trend in comic books where
1: um the heroes always look like villains outside of their own book. Yeah,
0: yeah, but here it works because they kind of are. It's like they they do not want to stop this war. Now, obviously, we know. That Vulcan is horrible, but in this case, they, they, you know, that's all we get. And I mean, this is how always I think how the Inhuman Royal Family has been to anyone that's not the Inhuman Royal Family—very terse and very like, no, leave us. Yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason nobody likes the Inhumans. Yeah, which is unfortunate because they have had some some good stories. This is one of them, actually, but they're yeah. not very likable in it. No, they're not. But he he fails. They fail. Just sad, but then all of the, the Rockets team think they're gonna they're gonna invade, and of course the ship is, uh, teleport protected because Vulcan is nothing if not way too paranoid, and, and like OP, just... he's got like way too many resources to do his freaky shit. Yep, but Warlock is able to break in successfully, uh, well until he's taken out by good old. Emperor Vulcan, and everyone else is picked up by the Starjammers. So I guess the Guardians are going to be traveling with the Starjammers now, which is like a fun team up. They both got like renegade
1: vibes, and the Starjammers are kind of the more venerable pirates. The Guardians are like the new guys in town, and the Guardians kind of crave legitimacy, even though the Starjammers have like the, the more of a reputation.
0: I just, the uh, shenanigans seem likely to ensue. Yeah, they're good shenanigans on the for the most part. Yeah. But- that's where the issue ends. They're blasting off into space, getting ready to fight. It says we'll pick up again in War of Kings number three. And we sure and do. Guardians 14. But first, we have to finish Nova. Okay, yeah, you guide me. I'm, I don't want to mess it up again. <laughs> I have, I wrote in my, so for anyone wondering why, why I'm able to do this, it's because all of my notes, I divided each one issue by issue because I read them in single issues. Which made it a lot easier than flipping back and forth in a trade. Yeah, I got two trades open on my lap, and I'm jumping between them. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why Jake is, is suffering. Yeah. But okay, we're talking Nova. Talking Nova, we get to finally conclude the World Mind as Ego uh, saga? saga. Yes. Yeah, so- <laughs> call everything a saga. Why not? Uh, the issue is called the Empire of the Mind. I thought it was great, but... Turns out that Ego has been influencing Worldmind since he went offline at the end of Conquest, when you know, Rich beamed up through Galactus's ship. It was all crackly and sparkly and whatnot.
1: And I was like, sure, th- th- great. Sure, why not? I why can not? believe that. Yeah, that's just like fine. That's your explanation. So be it. I was. Uh, it was. It was neat, and it resolved the mystery. And I was ready to move on because it had been dragged out
0: for long enough. Yeah, it, it, there's, these were a lot of issues. Reading it together, it didn't feel as much, but I think that's because they were very decompressed.
1: I mean, more in terms of how long this world mind th- like world mind's been doing weird shit
0: since uh, since conquest. And that was like a lot of issues ago. That yeah. was uh, well, but that's a, what a I year... mean. I think it was so many issues because like the whole thing ended up being decompressed, and also from what fifteen issues, maybe less. But still a lot, over a year, Yeah, probably. exactly,
1: over a year, more than 12 issues. Ugh,
0: too many. We get some some more fighting, some more trying to you know, really get everyone to understand what's been going on between Worldmind and, and Rich. And we cut back to Robbie on uh, New Xandar, or I guess on the surface of Ego. And Robbie's yeah, yeah. like, you know what, I'm going down to the planet with, uh, what's the name of his, uh, his friend there, the floating uh, one? Cubit? Yeah. So him and Cubit, they fly down to the planet to fight. Because why not? Because he wants to... He's always wanted to be a fighter. He's always wanted to be like his big brother. And yeah, he, he's, he's sick of uh, the dust job. Yep. And... What's his face? Uh, The, the Shiar... The Shiar... Um, That's uh, Malik, Nova. right? Hmm? Malik is his name, I believe. Maybe. Yes. Malik Tarcel. He's being tortured by Vulcan. As you do. As you do. Uh, And a lot more fighting, a lot more talking. And Rich just leans into being a Green Lantern.
1: Yeah, which I guess the Nova that was the, like a uh, it's no secret the Novas were
0: always Green Lanterns. Yeah. But he he builds his own construct house to kind of protect him. I <laughs> I love the editorial box here where he's talking about, where was it? Oh yeah. When I was infected by the phalanx transmode virus in Nova number five by the collection bill. (laughs) I love that stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that Marvel uh, weird huckster tone
0: that they can't give up. No, they can't,
1: but it's, but I'm still charmed by it.
0: Yeah. Yep. Still works. And Richard, as you gotta do conjures his own guilt, Uh, constructs out of Corel and uh, what's his face? Who's the guy that trained him? Uh, Roman Day. Roman Day. So those two, they show up and they basically give him a pep talk in order to beat up uh, Worldmind. But they also, interestingly, they complicate the explanation they just gave for what was going on with Worldmind by basically saying that world mind was so susceptible and weak because he was doing all of the emotional support work for Rich that Rich couldn't do on his own.
1: <laughs> I didn't find that explanation too compelling, but I did like... I've actually, even though I was complaining about the, the pattern that she fits into, I really mm-hmm. like how Correll's character is handled, where um, after being so moving in her brief appearance she's continued to like leave her mark on the book and um as Mm -hmm. reading an ongoing like that um is like a fun thing that happens in comics a lot more often than it happens effectively in other media for me
0: yeah and it's also nice that she gets to continue to have an appearance through here Uh, before richard just keeps getting beat up as he approaches the the, the center of, of Ego, and he grabs the Nova Force, and we finally get Nova Richard again. Yeah, was there any doubt? No. He gives back the bands to Wendell, because why not? And he disperses the Ego personality, World Mind shows up again, and he's being like, Well, thanks for freeing me. I'm going to go die now. <laughs> And Rich is like, but what what, what? what? But I just saved you. And he's like, well, the damage was too much, so I'm gonna need to reboot in a new personality. Bye. And it's kind of, it's pretty, it is pretty moving. I'm being flippant, but I, I thought that was a, a nice, a good ending for. Uh, it is critical that you, you pay attention at this time. Yeah, Worldman had a catchphrase. You gotta love a catchphrase. Gotta love a catchphrase. We're never gonna get that again, but we are gonna get the return of Corell as the new world mind personality.
1: Wait, now I love this development because Corel had such a cool design and a cool look and she was a Nova and she like served briefly and effectively and changed the entire course of the universe in the one day that she was a Nova and I love that now that we're getting rid of this like paternalistic Nova uh, world mind that had merged with like this force of selfishness, that we're getting this uh, Corel to represent this like new, more heroic world mind. I think that fucking rules. And there's a lot of business in this issue, and it, it's pretty uh, emotionally affecting. But that development
0: has a huge thumbs up for me. I think that's great. It's the best development of the whole thing. I absolutely. I love it. But it's not the final development because the last page. We get the reveal of Garth and Saul, the supernova. I yeah. I think that's he, his name. Is he the supernova? Yeah, he's been referenced a bunch of times. Yeah, so we finally get to see the the guy driven mad by the the Nova Force uh, with an upside-down triangle instead of the right-side-up one. That's how you know he's evil. And, like, yeah, sure. That's cool. I'm excited for that. <laughs> but I was
1: I, the world mind thing has me
0: really excited. Yeah. That's probably the, the best thing to come out of this. And so all that's left for this read, this section of the read-through, War of Kings number three. Oh, I lied. It's, it's War of Kings number three and then I said, Oh, you messed uh, up too. Uh. <laughs> well. It got me, folks. It got
1: me. So now we can talk about uh, Talon Razor, right?
0: No, we still have to do War of Kings number three. Oh my god. first. <laughs> I don't know how I got this so jacked up, Elias. You know, I. You know what I think happened. I think ego invaded our minds and started uh, rewriting it. <laughs> that has to be what happened.
1: So when we check back in with the War Kings at uh, the at the top of the war, uh, we left off with uh, Maximus was about to not Maximus. I'm sorry. Uh, he looks like he should be named Maximus, but <laughs> Vulcan uh, was about to execute Lelandra, and the advisors are like, "Wait, no, my lord. Uh, having a little. It just gets Game of Thronesy. Like they need to keep Lelandra alive so that uh, to secure his claim." I feel like, uh, not worth getting that deep into because the action really picks up when we, with Crystal, cause Crystal's our protagonist here and she's like embraced this full, I think they even call her the people's princess at one point, mm-hmm. like, like, uh, she is officially princess Diana. She's, um, working with refugees. She's beloved by the Cree, And so she goes to the Inhumans royal family to like implore them to take pity on the, the way this war is affecting them and to take her concerns to heart. And there's one moment in this conversation that, like, if I was trying to explain the Inhumans to somebody, I would show them this page. Which one? It's the one where um, Crystal goes—she's talked to her sister, she's talked to her cousins, and now she's finally Mm -hmm. talking to Black Bolt, the king, and she's in the throne room. Black uh, Black Bolt's sitting there with his puppy Lockjaw, who's a big old doggo, playing with uh, a, a Ben Grimm plushie. And Crystal's best dog. best dog in the universe. And Crystal uh, it says, "My Lord, I am concerned for the welfare of the Cree people. We are using them without regard for their interests. I feel we have may have gone too far." And then there's just a panel of Black Bolt sitting there silently next to the dog. And Crystal mm-hmm. just uh, looks dejected and says, "My Lord, as ever, your silence speaks volumes." Which is an Excellent, page. That stuff is good, and that's the that's that should be the Inhumans, right? Is that Black Bolt is this dark, moody, goth king who um never acts until he acts like decisively and like thunderously, and Crystal is the uh, nosy, impulsive, compassionate one who like really takes uh, people suffering to heart. And uh, yeah. I just feel like this is a great dynamic at the core of this War of Kings story, and should be the main dynamic at the core of the Inhumans series.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a shame that we don't really get that much. Uh, right before that, we got a bit of the weird, uncomfortable Cree stuff. You know, where where it's like, what well, like a, our evolution imperialism- has stalled, so we need to I don't know make some f- special Darwin machine to fix our evolution, like the Inhumans.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things that Maximus is supposed to be working on,
0: but he's having too much fun making all these weapons to,
1: yeah. to, to work it, on the it's project. It's also
0: kind of implied that they weren't getting anywhere beforehand anyway.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's been implied in, like, Marvel mythology that this is a, a an impossible task, like a fool's errand.
0: Yeah, but it does bring up an it's a an interesting and a nice kind of conflict to add in, being Crystal's like, so what's going to happen to the regular Kree? Are they just going to become second-class citizens to the Inhumans, and Medusa's like, sure, why not? And, and Crystal's care. also
1: like, like we already have that, right? And Medusa's just like, yeah, that works great. And Crystal's like,
0: um... <laughs> sure, Medusa. Uh, you keep thinking that. Uh, but, yeah, and... Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, Well, what's really effective for me is that uh, when we finally meet back up with the Guardians on um, Vulcan's flagship mm-hmm like i like we've been cutting back and forth to vulcan not executing Lilandra for a couple of moments throughout the issues and yeah. then we come here and then we realize that that fight scene we saw when rocket raccoon showed up was right between these moments and i love a good between these moments <laughs> exactly and rocket shows up with the heavy hitters with groot drax and major victory and the rocket looks so cute he looks cute I love the that... way he's drawn now, again, if I had to give people, like, one issue to, uh, or, like, one little story to, like, sum up a character. This one. War of Kings this number page. three. Rocket Raccoon, right? When he blasts the flark at a Gladiator with a Strontium cannon.
0: <laughs> His Zarthian Xerth- quantum cannon, specifically designed to take down even a Strontium like you. And he doubts. Right, which, which is enough to make him doubt himself,
1: but, uh, which is enough to depower him, but it turns out it was just an illusion anyway, because Rocket's tricky. Yep, and it was like, what, a broom? Yeah, he was just waving around a mop, and he had uh, Rachel Summers working with him.
0: Yeah, he and it, it's got even this great Silver Age dialogue, and he's like, wait, they don't have a tradition of quantum weapons. Right. Yeah, it was a mop. <laughs> right, they don't have it, uh, yeah, which is a great weird dialogue, and it makes gladiators seem really cool and formidable. And I just wrote, the Royal Guard goes through smashers, like Spinal Tap goes through drummers. Right, but now we have um, Izzy Kane is a smasher, and she's great. We love Izzy. How many smashers are between this
1: smasher and Izzy Kane? I'm pretty sure Izzy's the next smasher. Oh, okay. Who gets a name after this. Okay. Well, I guess she survives long enough. But Well, like we were talking about so long ago, Hickman,
0: uh, I think Hickman just likes this run. Oh, that's true. And Gladiator escapes from his, his psychic hold, uh, and he figures out that he's like, oh no, Lalandra's going to be, some. they're going to try to save or kill or do something with Lalandra. And he flies off, and he's just this blur of color, which is an excellent way to show how fast he's going. Yeah, just blasting past all the different guardians and all their fights. Yep. And then L- Lalandra pleads with him to basically not kill everyone. Yeah, because Vol and Vulcan is like do your duty, and we've
1: seen how much Gladiator hates Vulcan, and how much Gladiator hates a lot of people he served, and how Gladiator's loyal to the throne and will like never ever 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 betray it. Mm-hmm. Which makes the moment when mm-hmm. he does betray it like freaking land like a like a haymaker, right? Yeah,
0: and that's the end of the issue too, which is the. Perfect way to close it out, and it's the middle of the miniseries, so this is—it's a turning point. Yeah,
1: and you're just like, oh, are Abden landing good at comics. That's, that. This is great. It
0: was, and I just love the way I love that whole that whole reveal because you don't think he's going to do it. Every right. everything up until now makes you think, no, he's going to stay loyal to the throne, and he is. He's still being loyal to the throne, but he's just recognizing a different legitimate ruler. Right, and it's you
1: feel his feelings for Lilandra. I think come through too that uh, she's what br- broke him through. Is that he knows that this like whole line of terrible people he served. She might be the closest thing to someone worthwhile, and that's where the um, the 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 warriors issues with him and Lilandra really land for me because you get that Lelandra's, is like this worthier monarch to him, and you get how hard
0: this decision is for him. I like mm, that's the stuff. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And so we're halfway through, but we're not done yet. Got one more issue to talk about before we can close out another one of our very long episodes. So we're talking about Ascension, which is the last Darkhawk issue, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's not, because this is only half of Ascension, but the last one that we have to talk about this time, right? I'm taking your word for it at this point. Because Ascension was four issues
1: long. Right. Okay, so Ascension number two. This yeah. is the issue with the, the spooky tree, yeah? This
0: is the issue with the spooky tree.
1: Great. Okay, I know where we're at. So this, issue, <laughs> this is the issue that starts off with um, Razor and Talon, and you see them working together. And I keep on saying Assassin's Creed, but that's what it feels like to me. It's like this ancient brotherhood, and they fight
0: like really viciously, and they they work as a as, as a team. Yep, and they are they're effective, they're ruthless, and they just take out. Uh, what's his face? Wow, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Catastrophus. It's a great name, and the company's a really good design, great bug stuff, and they just they just decapitate him in one panel. Yeah, well, Catastrophus is not the
1: name of a long-lasting character. Catastrophus is the name of a lackey. Yeah. But they take out Catastrophus, and they get the Cosmic Control run, which was their goal. But there's a beat that I really love where they encounter Annihilus, who we've been introduced to. Annihilus was reincarnated into, like, a younger bug body. Mm Mm-hmm. And last we saw, he was with Ravenous. Right. So it's cool that they keep on planting
0: that seed, which is going to pay off in a big way in Hickman's Fantastic Four, in fact. Mm Mm-hmm. But for now, he's kind of stuck in stasis, being kept there by the cosmic control rod. And the raptors are like, you know what? Annihilus is too interesting to kill. We'll just let him grow up. And I don't know if that's like a very convincing motivation to me, but they're just like, we're evil, so we'll do this evil thing. And I was like, word. Yeah. And Talon's like, hey, Annihilus, I don't know if you'll actually remember this, but remember, remember, we're great you love us
1: and i'm like sure i would do the exact same thing if i was in that room yeah and but then we cut to chris powell and he's covered in these like freaky runes this looks to me like some witchblade shit or the darkness or something yeah it's major creepy
0: yeah and it looks like he's trapped inside of the gem get these nice shimmers from the outside while also being attached to a bunch of tinier gems whatever it looks cool i'm into it it's freaky and he's basically just freaking out and he's like I'm trapped how can I free myself and he bangs on the on the edges and he kind of starts to assert his personality again by like playing of the gem.
1: through his origin story a little bit and i got to say yeah. this origin story thing like really lands weirdly for me because um yeah it's just so different in t- i mean it's interesting it's an interesting um contrast but like him going to a creepy amusement park at night and finding a haunted amulet is just like not where we're at
0: no no it's not and i this is i guess where they're retconning also his his origin right i guess I don't they, know. that's why they
1: felt compelled to do this is because um since they were retconning his origins they felt like the need to address that but like i feel whatever about that it works though it's it's well drawn it's like kind of a it's spooky yeah he, He meets his dad. There's a moment where somebody rips off his real face to reveal that it's Darkhawk's mask underneath. That's always a cool visual.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to know how much of this is, like, the gem fucking with him and how much of this is his own, you know, insecurities and how much is just real, I guess. But eventually he, he beats his way out of the gem and appears on the tree. And you know that his is all wrong because it's glowing red and all the others are glowing blue wait but i was gonna say this tree is the coolest image in any of the issues we read today this tree is so creepy and cosmic and freaky and i love it exactly it's it has all these like bat creatures crawling along the branches i watched uh, shadow and bone on netflix this looks like some shadow and bone shit oh yeah I I love this concept of the tree with all the the it connects all of the different raptors and I'm yeah, guessing and it, that before this the we only saw the red the red gem so having it be visually distinct from all the rest because it's supposed to have been cut off and all of that was a really good choice. Looks great. Um I I I get why you're into Darkhawk.
1: Um uh, we cut back to Talon and Razor. And they are meeting
0: up with my main squeeze, with Blastar, yes! And, I, I mean, it's a very short scene, it's a very simple scene, but it's basically, hey, there's war, and I think you could help the war on one of the sides. But we don't know which side they actually want to influence it towards. And Blastar's like, no, I'm, I'm done being a puppet. I am King Blastar now. And Talon's like, but what if I give you this and he presents the cosmic control rod and he's like keep talking and i'm into it blastar definitely
1: needs a power upgrade the one thing i may keep on saying about blastar is that he doesn't have enough cosmic control rods
0: <laughs> he needs more
1: yeah i think this is going to turn things around for my main man blastar we will have to find out next time
0: because yeah, we finally yeah that was it. a whole
1: lot of issues today lies i'm sorry i got so confused with the reading order i will try to stick with it next time because next time we have a similarly hefty set of issues i'm certain we're going to get lost in the middle of the next week too ladies and gentlemen we will aspire to be as good as we can be uh but next time we will be reading guardians of the galaxy uh issues number 14 to 19 nova number 26 to 28 War of Kings number 4 to 6, the uh, ending of War of Kings Ascension numbers 3 and 4. And I just wrote War of King Aftermath. I know there's a bunch of like uh War of Kings Who Will Rule like epilogue issues. Whatever is in my trade is what I'm going to read and whatever's in your trade is what you should read. I'm pretty sure I have those. But like yeah, I don't I think
0: it's just a one issue thing called War of Kings Who Will Rule. Yeah, I think but so I don't too. Know. Whatever the case.
1: There's something called Marvel Spotlight War of Kings, but I think that's just like an ad. I think that's just a magazine.
0: Probably. Yeah, Marvel Spotlight sounds like an ad.
1: <laughs> but uh, I'm excited. Um, I really liked the War of Kings part of this. I liked where the Dark Hawk Ascension stuff was going.
0: Yeah. Uh, once we got going, now it's it's going to be interesting to see where it, I guess, ends up. Uh, yeah, I, I'm confident that you're going to feel that the
1: second half of this read is stronger than the first. And I thought the first was actually more good than bad.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know I, I'm I'm really digging the war of king stuff it's very sprawling it's not as focused as the other ones uh, but I think that's also because it's not trying to be it's trying to really capture the messiness of like actual like an actual power struggle between different forces versus these guerrilla fighters against an overwhelming invasive force
1: yeah, well, I guess it's um, I it, felt, it feels very Game of Thronesy to me. I feel like this was a couple of years before Game of Thrones premiered on HBO, but I was very into the books, and and mm-hmm. I saw a connection when I was reading them because I read them at similar times.
0: Mm. That would do it. Whatever the case, we will find out next time.
1: Yeah, and between this time and next time, Elias, if people wanted to hear more of the stuff you had to say, where
0: would they go about doing that? They could go to MultiversityComics.com, or they could find me on Twitter at Quetzelish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. It is not a Gestalt entity, but it may or may not have been invaded by Ego, uh, because it's mostly retweets of my own articles. (laughs) Uh, And I write... At MultiversityComics.com, we are in the middle of our summer comics and TV binges. Uh, I have been doing Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, and as you probably could tell from the beginning of this, Babylon 5, which is Going Strong in Season 4. Very fun and very weird. Uh, And where can they find you, Jake, on the larger interwebs? I,
1: too, can be found on multiversitycomics.com. You can find me there writing about X-Men. You can also find me recapping the final season of Attack on Titan. And you can find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. And I'd love to hear from you. So uh, say hey if you find me out there on the interwebs. In the meantime, uh, stay frosty out there because I hear there's a War of Kings coming and it's going to be a doozy.
0: Excelsior.